Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You and I share a common language. When you and I, I eat a sausage sandwich. You and I share a common language when you and I I sausage sandwich And I said, who the hell is that? Tommy, join me at the lady. That was good egg. Julia! A very big bee. Eh? Hmm? Hi. Hi. Good. Good. After the pee, your poo has landed to make sure that you're clean-handed. I like sausages. Never mind your tweets. Get out of fucking way. I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. That's the equivalent of a very fat baby or two malnourished ones. Alice Clunt. I'm going to make my excuses before somebody gets jinged. Your candle burned out long before your legend ever did. Continued Elton. Double O feckin' bollocks. I'd like to tickle your pink. Tickle you pink. Can I have a glass of water, please? My mouth is dry. You and I share a common language. When you and I ate a sausage sandwich. Just that, Nick. Monkey tennis. Hello and welcome to the last in the current series of Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Seen it all before, mate. It's all tits and teeth. Nick Older. Thank you. And very thank you. 
and Tom Stab. I said, who the hell is that? So, first off, a huge thank you to all of the fops that we've woven into this week's theme tune. Uh, we much appreciate you getting in touch with your favourite lines from the series that we will now uh, dissect and celebrate. Um, in this episode, we'll be discussing the series as a whole, covering your feedback. We're going to dive into the This Time DVD, tell you what we know about what Alan's up to next, and also reveal what our plans are for Monkey Tennis. But uh, I believe we're starting with some series tits bits that we, uh, we haven't yet covered. Is that correct? Tits bits. Tit-tit-bit-tit-bit-tit-bits. Yeah, that's me covering tit-bits. Tit-bits? Tit... I've done it again. Um, So... We're going to start with a message from Tristan Hyde on Facebook uh, about the Daniel Craig impersonator. We had quite a few people get in touch about this. Um, and Tristan says, you might have covered this on the feedback episode, but yes, it's a real Daniel Craig lookalike. My girlfriend works for Sky and they used him to launch Sky Ultra HD. Spectre was the film used in the launch. And I actually saw a few, uh, I think someone, I can't remember who, so I'm sorry if it's one of our listeners and I'm not name checking you. Someone shared a video clip of him actually working as oh, a I Daniel Craig impersonator. Yeah, so I'll see if I can dig that out um, for our socials. But yeah, and I think I also read that he lives in Norwich as well, but that might have just been a, a rumour. You were just um, hoping. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so uh, the, the the guy from, was it episode four? Yeah, episode yeah. four, uh, a yeah. real Daniel Craig impersonator, which is a lovely touch, I think. It- Especially notable, as, as, as we said when we covered this episode, that there's no way that he looks nothing say. like him. Yep. We were adamant. If, he, if, he can get, if he can get paid employment as a Daniel Craig lookalike, then that is as ludicrous as Adam being paid to be some kind of Zac Efron impersonator. I mean, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing there. But I'll tell you what, it's probably going to do quite a lot for his business, having been on the show. True. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, next up, again, a couple of people uh, messaged this in, but I don't think we covered it. I think it actually came out after the we did our episode. That, yeah. that might be the reason. Yeah. So it's 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 the Dan Snow video, which you may have seen on Twitter. Basically, he has a bit of fun with the suggestion that the BBC nepotism uh, in episode two um, was aimed at him and his dad. So the video features him. Um, uh, sort of starting off very confidently and doing a kind of roving report to things like claiming like oh you know people saying I only got this job because of my dad etc etc and then he kind of puts his hand up his, to, his, to his ear like he's getting instruction then it cuts to his dad and then he gets it wrong and back and forth we were going to cut in the audio but it didn't quite work as an audio file but um, the video is is really good like uh, it, it's, it, it's really well done and pretty funny so I've, we'll share we it ha- on the socials no doubt yeah because I don't yeah, we should do yeah it. I don't think we have shared that on the socials, have we? So I think we should dig that out and, and no, give it another I, share I think if you haven't our, seen it. Yeah, I think in our discussion, we kind of made the point that you've got the Dan Snow, Peter Snow, uh, that it's very similar. But I, yeah, they, I think he he must have put that video up a few days afterwards. What a jolly yeah, good sport. I can't... Th- I can't think of Simon Farnaby's character name from that from that episode. Uh, Sam, from, but I can't yes, remember Sam. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea we'll, we'll see that you know who am I, the son of factual programming. So you know that was the gag there. So it's obviously yeah. a bit of a, a nod to that, which I thought was quite good. Um, and then uh, Monty Don as well, obviously featuring in the series in in you know what I would arguably say is one of the the series highlights for me personally. I thought that section was great. Um, he put out a tweet um, on the day 
of uh, that the show went out, that his, his appearance went out, saying, I'm making a guest appearance on This Time with Alan Partridge tonight on BBC One at 9.30. I have not seen it, so no <laughs> idea how it turns out, but it was tremendous fun to film. And, of course, we mentioned in a, in a, uh, probably in our first episode of sort of the people that we saw at the screening of, uh, of This Time, we saw Monty Don there. Of course, at the time, we didn't know what his... Uh, relevance was to the series but yeah. it was, so it was a bit odd that he was there but obviously then it became well, apparent so explosively that tweet is a lie we know he has seen it well no because they didn't show his episode when we were at that screening no oh, they shit. didn't was yeah, it yeah, the screening yeah, yeah. but they only showed yeah. episode one and two but I'm, I wonder I'm shit if, chatting I'm shit chatting I can't, I can't work out if he, when he says I've not seen it so no idea how it turns out whether it was tremendous fun to film whether he genuinely hasn't seen it and that is true or whether it kind of fits into the narrative that you know he's been caught for product placement on this time and so he's tweeting in real life going oh yeah I don't really know uh, what the segment was about <laughs> in the end, but, uh, but uh, I had a lot of fun filming it sadly I, I don't think that, that holds water just because of the follow up tweet afterwards oh, yeah so the, the follow up tweet from Monty was uh, the whole thing the whole thing tightly scripted and then repeatedly refined as it goes along took 10 hours to film with each setup involving at least 10 takes painstaking attention to detail reading between the lines there he's saying I never normally have to go to this much effort when I'm, when I'm recording gardening programmes. So I guess it's further testament to what we know about uh, about Steve and the Gibbons brothers kind of going over every possible version, permutation, mm. angle of every shot to, to eke as maximum comedy out. Yeah. And uh, and then a, a few other people um, getting in touch on Twitter um, saying that the racist old woman from episode five, I believe, um, I think I I was the one who, who who commented on that saying, you know, it kind of doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work for lots of reasons, but one of the main reasons that that section didn't work was because they didn't have a. They, it was clearly an actor doing that role, um, and a lot of people have pointed out that. Uh, the consensus seems to be that that was Steve Coogan doing that racist old woman voice. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's possibly the reason that that section didn't work as well as a few other reasons as well, which we talked about in the episode. Cool. And now it's probably time to talk a bit more about the series as a whole. Um, so appropriately timed, we have been sent advanced copies of the TTWAP DVD featuring all six episodes and a couple of extra bits. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's... But it's a pretty bog standard DVD package in terms of you've got it's a one disc, six episodes, but there are two extra pieces of content. Sadly, no commentaries, which I think is a bit of a shame. Um, yeah, so, I thought that was a disappointment yeah, to be honest. Particularly because I think in some of the old I'm Alan Partridge DVDs, I think they did some commentaries in character as Alan and Lynn, didn't they? I don't ever remember hearing that. I remember when we covered. Um, when we covered knowing me knowing you we sort of split the commentary duties and mm. that was that was really good i really loved yeah. li- listening to those commentaries so i think it's a shame that they haven't got one on here to be honest but we should focus on what extras are on uh, the t2 app dvd so there is a test shoot uh, which is probably about i think about seven minutes long and that yeah. is essentially it's them in a like a working mock-up version of what would become the This Time Studio. Um, it's a lot smaller. And interestingly, I did notice, it has exactly the same sofas and kind of tiny table that the one show has. 
So yeah, I did, well, I did wonder smaller, for a minute it? if they filmed it in the one show studio, but I think it was still too big. But they but they do have black curtains around, so they it's possible, I guess. Mm. Or it's or entirely possible that for these purposes they ordered exactly the same furniture, yeah. but just duplicates of it and put it in a soundstage yeah, somewhere. That is that is also very possible. Uh but yeah, essentially uh it's about a six or seven minute segment and it's I think it's pretty much line for line what we've already seen with Episode one, right? With the kind of have a glass of water. Uh, there's quite a lot of differences. No, there are some variations, which I think are, I think it's quite interesting to see how the show evolved. So there's there's some bits with uh, with Tim Key and Steve Coogan yes. particularly that I think that, that vary quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and also there's a lot. I think that they spend a lot more time on kind of like awkward pauses and shuffling in between the lines, which actually uh, I think the comedy suffers a bit as a result in this screen test. So I think it's good that they they've tightened it up for the main show. Um, I also enjoyed a lot that uh, obviously at, at this point in prep for the show uh, they hadn't got a proper digi wall for, for, for Simon yeah. Tim Key. so he's basically he's genuinely swiping at a piece of cardboard on a on some kind of plinth. Yeah, I, I thought that was genuinely interesting to see how they've just mocked up something obviously on 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 the cheap. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a kind of rehearsal footage, essentially. So you kind of get a nice little peek behind the curtain, as it were, to to see how they kind of workshop the ideas um, of you on the set, uh, hear how they kind of um, test out some of the lines. Um, so I, I I really enjoyed it, even though there's not new kind of content per se. It was just interesting to see them essentially rehearsing some of the scenes that you already went on to go and see in the show. So I've I've I think this question mainly goes towards Tom as someone who's got a bit of telly experience, but maybe Uh-oh. not necessarily <laughs> sitcom related. There's there are some there are some gags and sections which are from ep- different episodes in yep. this section. So this is this looks like to all intents and purposes episode one, but yet yep. there are gags and there is um, there are there are sort of little sections that appeared in different episodes. Now, like the home, some of the be- home screen stuff, wasn't it? Was in a different episode, I think. And the and the the. the cocksucker joke as well of, of uh, oh, yeah, Jenny yeah. knocking the, 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 the card out of his hand are we to believe that those scenes were originally in episode one or do you think they're just chopping little bits from do- other episodes and then sort of like just workshopping them or do we think that those things were originally in episode one and then for whatever reason they decided to move them to different episodes I think that could really depend on just how writing teams work but it does feel to me that perhaps the Gibbons and, and Steve have a kind of core script or they kind of have a load of set pieces that then they will kind of work in any scenario perhaps particularly mm. when i think you have when you have that studio setting for this time there are a lot of the gags based around that setting that you could drop into any episode and they'd work because they're not tied into a narrative so yeah maybe but, in I mean, the editing really room sure. they yeah. move in the editing room they may have moved stuff that was actually well, filmed in, for episode in, one well, in, the writing, episode. in the writing room yeah it certainly feels like this this rehearsal footage or this screen test is uh, from a time when there was a bit more flexibility with the script because obviously it's, it's my understanding that once you get to filming it for real because because every kind of section includes a link to the next section or, or a throwback to the section you've just come from, it's a lot harder to edit things in and out once you get to that, that stage, whereas here they're, they're still kind of kicking it around a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, and, and I think that's what makes this a very interesting segment for a diehard Partridge fan to see how things have evolved and revolved with the scripts and with the, with the setting and the scenario. But yeah, I mean, you're totally right. In terms of when, when they're getting to filming it on the day, you might have tiny changes to the script in terms of, oh, let's try that punchline with a different word. But in terms of big chunks of dialogue, that's going to have to be pretty much locked in. Yeah. Um, A couple of gags in the test footage that I just wanted to sort of dissect a little bit or ask questions to the group about. Um, Obviously, we cut to the 
quote-unquote digiball, but it's just a piece of cardboard in this situation. <laughs> and instead of symbols, it's words. Yeah. Now, I wonder if there were if they were originally going to have words on the final digiball or whether they were always going to change them to um, symbols because the symbols are very ambiguous on screen, but then also so are the words because on the screen you have today's tweets, Twitter, tweets, and social... <laughs> which are effectively all the same thing. So I think it would have quite worked as a as a gag as well if you had all of those words on the screen, but he didn't know which one to hit yeah, well, as well. Well, I, I guess the, the joke kind of works in the same way because the, the images on the home screen that we saw in the final show are so convoluted, they don't really make any sense either. Like, you know, there's a handshake, there's the bird. It, it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> the, the process is so convoluted no matter what. So yeah, I think... Really, that gag works whether it's poorly chosen words or poorly chosen graphics. And the other one was that um, Simon makes a, a, a Trump gag. He makes a Donald Trump gag oh, about yeah. the size of the tiny hand. So I wonder, I wonder if that was cut because obviously they've kind of there was a lot of people who jumped on the news story about this show, Alan being the voice of Brexit, and they wanted to move completely away from any political gag, so to speak. So they they cut that one. I wonder as a result of that feedback from the public when that news story caught, sort of broke or whether that was already done before that happened, I wonder. Did we also all clock the uh, Dimbleby gag, which I also thought was uh, brilliant and a shame. <laughs> well, where, where uh, Lynn was uh, uh, complimenting on, on how he was um, going and compared him to one of the Dimbleby brothers and he kind of asks which one, which uh, is Jonathan, and you can, you can hear the, the crushing disappointment that it's not David. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the other gag that I really liked that I wish they'd kept in was when they cut to a uh, segment about where and what can we fish. Um, it's it's Alan and Simon talking and Alan says, what's going on with the Digiball? It was like watching Lynn trying to open, open a PDF. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I that wish they'd great. kept that. I think yeah. that's a really good gag. That's nice. I think going back to that Trump one as well, I think probably they just got rid of it because by the time it came to filming... Any gag about Trump having small hands, no matter how funny, has been done 5,000 times before. I just yeah. think there's no way to make that joke fresh again because it's been used so many ways by so many different people. And it ages it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting point because actually there isn't anything... I don't think there's anything majorly across the six episodes that really anchors it to, well, well, apart from points in the script with 2018, 2019, but in terms of thematically, there's nothing that really anchors it to those years, is there? I don't think. No, not, no, not really. Um, j- just another little observation I had about this test footage. I thought it was interesting. I don't know what you guys think about this, but the way that uh, Susanna Fielding was dressed for this, I think she was dressed a bit cooler and a bit younger than how Jenny played out mm. in the final series. Mm. Mm-hmm. Slightly cooler yeah, dress, agree, bit of jewellery yeah. going on. Um, so it, th- that's also an interesting part to see how obviously they're still developing not only what dialogue do these characters have, but how do they look and how do they behave as well. So I think it's definitely, it's really worth a watch and it's very interesting to see how things have developed. But it's a shame that there's only one of these and it's only seven minutes long. I'd like to have seen more personally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And so th- there's obviously a there's another uh, little treat on the DVD, which we're not going to go into the details of exactly what it is, but I, I, we can reveal, and I believe this is a world exclusive, although to be fair, the DVD will be released by the time people hear this, so someone may find it before we tell them. But um, if you go to episode five on the menu and press right instead of pressing OK, 
and only after you've pressed right, then press OK, you will find a little DVD Easter egg there. And I think we are the first people to be able to tell anyone about it. So uh, do enjoy. Yeah, that is a world exclusive. I think that's definitely a first for Monkey Tennis, having a world exclusive or anything. Um, So, yeah, I think that's kind of all we had to really say about the extra footage on the DVD. And I think we'd all agree it's a shame that there isn't more test footage to see. It's also a shame slash a bit of a surprise that there aren't any deleted scenes but i think we kind of have it on good authority that there wasn't really much left on the cutting room floor is that is our understanding of it i believe so yeah and as i mentioned earlier you know if if they're filming stuff that that links to and from uh scenes it's a lot harder to cut because you know you're, you're staying with one person in shot for the entirety of that scene so i don't think they had the luxury of being able to kind of change a lot of stuff once they came to film it for real uh, and i think that's probably why we don't have more deleted scenes but there was there was one thing that the gibbons brothers talked about at the screening we went to which i don't think we've actually mentioned yet that there was a segment they had called quadrangle uh, which was going to be a weekly segment which i think did they say it was something like the moral maze Something like that? Yes, I think so. So that rings a bell. That was a weekly segment that actually never made it to air, and I think that maybe they actually filmed it. That was the impression that I had. But I think that might I I think that might be it. I think there's there's a, yeah there's maybe one or two bits that didn't that, that didn't quite make it in. I mean, obviously, uh, the uh, Alan's tooth lapel uh, is never properly addressed in the series either. Although uh, Steve Coogan's given a bit of a hint around what that might be and what it might mean, which mm. we've covered on uh, previous episodes. Uh, it's a shame you never kind of see that resolve because I think that it's quite a visually striking um, thing that you notice on the first episode, and mm. it does feel like something will be addressed. And I was very curious to see where it went. Um, and yeah, it was just a shame that it never kind of resolved but i'm guessing the nature of how they write these things there's often ideas that they have that they just can't properly execute because um jokes change or the writing um gets adapted so it's a shame but i guess one of those things it also really bugged me that i think there were two episodes of the six where the tooth lapel badge wasn't used it's just like to, well, to know what the, the reason for that is and stuff but yeah we don't know i wonder i, I i'd also be curious to uh, know how these have kind of been slotted together so do they write them as you know one episode or actually do they you know uh, chop and change the editing of um the shows because it's perfectly conceivable which might explain the reason why you don't have the tooth lapel in certain episodes is that they've moved sections around and it's been edited um so yeah i'd be, I'd be curious to understand how that process works as well I think we can say that, again, on good authority, that episode five, as we saw it, was originally going to be episode two. So that might explain some chopping and changing that's happened as well. Cool. So, yeah, that's about it on the DVD. But very excitingly, we have five copies of the DVD signed by Steve Coogan and this time with Alan Partridge mugs to give away. So that is five Alan... Yeah, that is five Alan Partridge. (laughs) (laughs) So we have five Alan Partridge DVD and mug combination packs to give away. So this is how we're going to do it. This episode is going to go out on Monday the 8th of April. On the morning of Tuesday, the 9th of April, we are going to put out a tweet, which is going to have a picture of the DVD and the mug. We want you to retweet that, and we are going to randomly pick five winners from the people that retweet. Seems fair. Simple as that. A a democratic system. (laughs) But please don't enter if you're listening on Catch Up. (laughs) We can't stress that enough. (laughs) And do check the the bill payer who for permission in order to enter. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
If you haven't retweeted by Tuesday, yeah. you're too late. Yeah. Yeah. Retweets. Yeah. Retweets received after the uh, the the lines have closed <laughs> may not be counted, but will still, still be, be charged. charged. And I should should probably just stress again: the DVDs will be signed by Steve Coogan. That's actually quite impressive. That yeah. And when we, one, when we, that when we signed, say that, that, it's a signed prize. Two, that he's agreed to do it. Yeah. When we say that, it's not just one of us bent over in a car park scrawling on them with a biro a genuine actual Steve Keegan will be <laughs> yeah. signing these we've genuinely been in touch with people on board the BBC gravy train this is legit it's happening So that's uh, the DVD uh, and the DVD extras and the DVD competition nicely rounded off. But we thought it'd be nice uh, with this wacky end of term ties around the head episode of Monkey <laughs> Tennis to, uh, to take a look over the series as a whole uh, rather than episode by episode and, and, and talk about uh, what we thought, highlights and lowlights, uh, any outstanding questions to the group. I mean, firstly, I guess the big question is, how do you think this ranks in terms of partridge output that we've covered Ooh. and perhaps that we haven't covered? I think we've been quite united in in thinking that Alpha Papa is the weakest of the Allen output. Is that fair to is that fair to say? I wouldn't put it at the bottom, but I'd agree it's in the bottom half certainly. Because uh, basically, my barometer yeah. was like, "Is it better than Alpha Papa?" That's my that's that's how I'm judging. I would this. say yes. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I re I rewatched all of them um, yesterday just for for fun. Um, and I think a bit Rewatched like or watched for matters. the first time. <laughs> I watched them for, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Guys, uh, this is brilliant. Why did you tell me? <laughs> this is great. We should do a this podcast about this. <laughs> I've got so much to say. Um, I think um, a bit like uh, Mid Morning Matters, uh, for me, when I first watched Mid Morning Matters, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't convinced on the format. Um, didn't think it was that funny, but with time, they've they've really kind of they've aged well, and I think that that is going to be true of this series. Mm. I think that I enjoyed it more from the off, but I do think with repeat watches and over time, it it will uh, improve with age. So, um, I think overall, it's it's a really really strong series. I think the point that you're making there about rewatching it and enjoying it and it getting better is really really valid i think in this day and age in sort of like the social media world everything has to be either amazing or the worst thing in the world so the polarizing opinions of people are basically you know this is brilliant and amazing best partridge ever or this is dreadful if you don't mm. think it's a you know and if you think it's dreadful you're not a fan of alan part a true fan of comedy or alan partridge so i think and much like you know the previous series i think i made the point before like this character's nearly 30 years old, so you've had 30 years of being able to watch all of that content and, you know, repeatedly, people who are fans repeatedly, of Partridge, yeah. repeatedly and repeatedly and repeated quoting, all those sorts of things, it just passes into their everyday language of, of people of a certain age who have watched this series and have grown up with it. Have grown up with it. So I think, I don't see why this wouldn't be any different. Like, I, I've really enjoyed this series, but I think a lot of people may, who have been negative on it, may reappraise it you know in a few years time and think it's like, oh it's actually better than i thought it was maybe i don't know um i think overall this was a hugely enjoyable series um not just because of the anticipation of having alan back but i think they've done very smart things with keeping it inside the live tv format and and, and having lynn appear in cutaways and things like that i thought it felt pretty fresh and dynamic and it's i, I was hard pressed to think of another comedy character that's like you say 30 years old now 
that still feels fresh and hasn't been rehashed. You know, like if you think about the likes of, I don't know, like a, like a Dad's Army or an Only Fools and Horses, or I mean, there really aren't many comedy characters or comedy concepts that have been around 25 years and still feel dynamic like this did. Like there were episodes where I genuinely had no idea what was going to happen and it felt quite exciting. Um, it, 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 I think that's very rare. I think I think that you know Alan by by age alone should be in the realm of traditional comedy now. Should be you know basically like on the gold channel you know like repeated on dave <laughs> yeah the fact that it's still the fact that it's still this exciting um is uh, i think is great i also think it's worth just m- mentioning really quickly that um uh, there's a review in the observer um of the last episode that you and ferguson wrote uh, this morning um well i don't know if you wrote it this morning that's when i read it um, <laughs> he said uh, he said, quite accountably, in the less than loved this time with Alan Partridge, they saved the very worst for last. I'd retained hopes for this, and some of the format worked winningly, but as soon as his co-host, the wonderful Susanna Fielding, walked off set at the very start, it fell apart. Alan was just allowed to get nasty, which was never, ever the point. I'd love to see Alan return, just not with those writers. Now, I think that's wrong for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, saying I'd love to see him return just not with those writers I mean they've been writing Alan for you know seven or eight years now so you'd have to throw out a hell of a lot of uh, eight years, yeah. baby eight years. with your bathwater if yeah um, I think um, I think the format I agree it worked winningly and I also think it's true that, that, that Susanna Fielding is the real linchpin of this series but I do wonder what it says about Alan if, if the straight person in, in the series is the one that's most celebrated does it mean that the bar's just been set so high for Alan or is it you know, is it a problem? Do you think that 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 Susanna, aka Jenny, aka you know the straight man, the straight woman of this piece, seems to be getting seems to be the most celebrated? Is that just because she's a big reason why it feels so fresh? So that having her as that important additional character that makes it doubly as fresh as just having Alan in that kind of TV format. So. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think she really did make it, but <clears throat> to, to say like the show fell apart when she was not on the screen is just bang wrong. And I think the people who are critical of this series, obviously, they're well within their right to be critical of this series. But the Gibbons' output since they came on board has been amazing. Like mm. across the board, they've been. It's been so strong because it would have been so easy for this character to fall apart for it to not be as strong as it used to be and it's you know there are some bits which are as good as if not better than the old partridge and i think that's i don't think the gibbons and steve coogan and the people involved in making the uh, like mid-morning matters uh the, the the autobiographies and this series i don't think they get the credit that they deserve for being able to constantly reinvent this character and keep it fresh because I mean, it, you could argue that they're a little bit lucky in that they've stumbled or Steve stumbled across this character who is so adaptable to different formats. He's a presenter at heart. That's what his character is. You couldn't do this with, I don't know, Father Ted or Del Boy or like someone like that. Mm. He's a character who is able to go into different formats. So it's a little bit luckier in that in that respect. But I don't think they get the credit that they deserve for being able to keep it as fresh as they do 30 years into the into the character's um, sort of creation especially as the, the the projects that they're tackling now are much more ambitious back in the sort of uh you know peter bainham armando anucci days they were making six episode series and that's what it was um but you know under the gibbons kind of watch they've been writing you know seventy thousand word books two of them and and a feature film as well as the kind of series that used to happen before they wrote it so it does seem like they've tackled more ambitious projects i mean the one other thing i just quickly mentioned is that 
after the day-to-day, after knowing me, knowing you, there's a certain weight of expectation. People want something from, from Alan. With everything that's come since, there's been a slightly different audience wanting a slightly different Alan. Mm. And I think they, what they have done is done an incredible job of balancing this time so that everybody gets a little bit of what, of what they really, really want out of Alan. I, I'd really agree. And that was kind of... That, I think that's kind of my take my takeaway. So I think in terms of t- talking about where it ranks for us at the moment, I almost feel like it's too early to say because it doesn't have that that well, that era of repeat viewings yet. But I would say I think some parts felt a bit OTT and a bit extreme and a bit slapstick. But then, you know, that did happen in the world of I'm Alan Partridge, particularly with Series 2. He falls backwards over us sofa he has a toilet door for a table he saws up boxes of cereals he puts his legs behind his head and blows off an attacks inspector's face you know it's like there are ridiculous and grotesque moments in i'm alan partridge which i think a lot of people see as the absolute high watermark but then there's a lot of subtle gentle gags in this series as well uh, which links it a lot more to the mid-morning matters output so what i'm saying is it's just genuinely balanced <laughs> I also think um, I also think it's worth kind of mentioning. I guess what the BBC's view on this would be, because I think it's it's interesting and it's it's a breath of fresh air that they've embraced what is, I guess, a format that's slightly unique and slightly different. And bear in mind, this is going out in a not far off prime time slot on the BBC, and you know it could have been very easy for them just to write a straight laced Alan Partridge series that didn't really, you know, challenge conventions or anything like that. And I think, you know, it, my my take on it would be that they've been broadly kind of supportive of um, that kind of that format, which has, you know gone out and found quite a broad audience and hopefully it's brought some people in uh, or back into Alan because I think Mid Morning Matters didn't necessarily get the reach that that this hopefully will so it will be interesting to see whether this character will kind of continue to grow in terms of uh, the people who are watching it and hopefully it's just you know done positive things for Bran Partridge. Well, actually, Nick, that's quite an interesting point, and I had a question to the group in my notes here, which was, do we think Coogan is kicking himself that he let the character live for so long in the viewing figure's wilderness that was Sky Atlantic? No, because I reckon he was handsomely rewarded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, Sky had very deep pockets. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously, all, all jokes aside, yes, I'm sure, I'm sure the money behind it was great. But when you look at the fact... For example, Mid-Morning Matters Series 2, the viewing figures we got, I think it started off 269,000 and went, and I think the last episode finished on 51,000. Whereas we know that this time averaged, what, about 1.6, 1.7 across the series? Yeah. But I think that what, the, the what Sky, I mean, it, it started with fosters and yeah. fosters funny yeah, yeah. and the youtube thing and it kind of spiraled from there and i think that what they were always trying to do was do alan under the radar as it were like it was a bit of fun they could test out a new approach they had these mm. new writers let's see what happens and it kind of grew from there and you know from a youtube channel it went to sky atlantic and then from sky atlantic it went to a book and then from the book it's gone to the bbc so it's kind of like these incremental steps to get to what is obviously one of the biggest channels that you can be on in the uk um but i think that they didn't want to it answers your question i think think no they wouldn't be kicking themselves and they've gone on the journey which was the right thing to do to get there rather than just saying let's reinvent uh, sorry let's just bring the character back to the bbc without any of the kind of like heavy lifting mm. that's gone in over the past seven or eight years that they've really kind of built a new version albeit on the same kind of foundation but they have built a new version of alan partridge which you know they went through the correct steps to kind of 
get to where they are now. So to slightly rephrase the question then, do we think it's a shame that less people have actually seen the Mid-Morning Matters years of Alan? Definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's great and more people should have seen it, but I think if they put out that exact show, Mid-Morning Matters, on BBC One, you'd have had a lot of the broader audience going, what's this? Why is it only in one room? Where's Lynn? Mm. I don't think they would have got Yeah, to. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, also, just very, very quickly, yeah, the uh, the average viewing figures across all six episodes was 1.879 million. Um, that's massively skewed, right. though, by uh, episode one, which got 3.2 million viewers as an overnight and then an extra 1.8 million so about 5 million total um as a consolidated viewing figure so um yeah it, it, it's I, I mean i don't really know much about tv viewing numbers but i imagine they'd be relatively happy with that well i'm sure they'd be happier if it stayed at 3 million every week but, oh know. yeah but that was never that was never gonna happen <laughs> no, was it no. like, that was never gonna happen um so I, I think i just had kind of one more point to discuss i've got a quote from the guardian here just about kind of how the series has been received so uh in the guardian they wrote the gibbons partridge is a more detailed creation less given to comedic bombshells such as switching on the lights in a room that turns out to be a shrine to himself running around restaurants brandishing giant lumps of cheese as such this new series has divided opinion and it says ironically when i'm alan partridge returned for series two in 2002 it was deemed broad by many critics partly because it retained its laugh track which sounded jarring in the wake of new naturalism ushered in by the office so that's something that just from seeing general kind of feedback whether it's been with us or seeing people on alan facebook groups and what have you the people that seem to have not enjoyed this time that much seem to be disappointed that it's not i'm alan partridge series three i I don't know kind of if you guys have picked up on that at all but i feel like that was never what the show was going to be it's never what they said it was going to be you know they said they were going to set out to ape the one show and that's exactly what that's exactly what they did with it and that is why it lurch it lurches between disjointed segments every couple of minutes because that's how those shows work in reality but i feel like people almost want to see alan through a behind the scenes lens but if you actually it's almost like that's a rose tinted version because i'm alan partridge was never that actually a mockumentary style thing the closest thing is probably mid-morning matters in the way that that, Mm. the conceit of how that's filmed but it feels like in the wake of the office and more recently 2012 w1a people just do nothing even this country it seems like people expect that's what their comedy characters should be doing and actually if you look back at everything alan's done there's always been slapstick stuff silly stuff so i think even though maybe points of this time feel a bit uneven and a bit disjointed it all fits with what we've seen before A good point well made and I think that brings us uh, to the end of our sort of our wrap up of what we think about the series as a whole but uh, we've also all uh, handed our, our end of term scores our episode <laughs> rankings into Tom Dark who I believe has collated them into a handy chart or graph or pictogram or something uh, I've just got some scribbles in a notebook but uh, yes Great. I can reveal I'll take the, it. <laughs> the monkey tennis rankings for the episodes of this time with Alan Partridge and what I will say is that me and Adam and uh, Stab were quite unanimous. Nick really has <laughs> thrown. Nick really has thrown the figures um, here. Got here and, we go. And the fun thing was as well because I got Nick's in last. I can literally see what episode it switched as well. But that doesn't matter for the purposes of the listeners at home. Uh, in at number at number six, yeah. In at number six, we have episode five, which I think we'd all agree was the low point of the series. 
Yeah. Yep. Dish, I mean, did, did we literally all agree yeah, on did. it though? Did, did we Actually, all agree? No, no, we didn't. I had episode one as the as the last, ah. but it was it was re- it, that was a really tough call. Really, episode one, what? staggering. <laughs> yeah, but then, the, but I was weighing it up in terms of I loved the first half of episode five so much because that felt like a real knowing me knowing you return to form. Anyway, that's episode five at position number six. In at number five is episode one. In at number yep. four is episode three. Yes. Now we're into mm-hmm. the top three. In at number so far, that's been exactly what I submitted. Just saying. <laughs> hashtag just saying. Hashtag. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he will be missed. <laughs> so in third place, we have episode two. Yes, correct. In second place, silver medal is episode one. Four, which means oh. in pole position, in at number one, it's episode six. That is Monkey Tennis's favourite episode of This Time with Alan Partridge. Interesting. Oh, that's a little switcheroo from what I had at the top. I, uh, episode four was my favourite. How is episode four not number one? <laughs> uh, well, I, I can give I can give you the breakdown. Yeah. Why don't you just why don't you why don't you why don't you do our top threes? Um, uh, what, what do we all yeah. say for a top okay, three? Okay. Okay. Um, Adam's top three. From three to one was two six four. Mm-hmm. Stabs was six two four. Mine was four two six. Uh. Nick Nick, <laughs> w- Nick was two three six. So Nick with a rogue episode three in his top three. Absolutely thrown. So I mean, if you really want to get into this in in terms of points, episode two. I mean, I, four, Tom, I, think, I, I think we should. I don't want to get into this, but I'm sure there are thousands of listeners that do. <laughs> so I, I just had to go with who'd put it top, the, who'd given it the most high rate. So yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. episode six. Thanks very much. So in summary, okay. Nick ruined it for everyone. Yes. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Remember, please use the hashtag. Just sack. Just Nick. sack Nick. <laughs> So now it's time to go into a little bit of feedback for episode six. Uh, as you've just heard, it was our, our jointly our favourite of the series. Um, but there's a bit of feedback we didn't have time for last week. So here we go. Kenneth Wilson's got in touch on Facebook. He said, I think you missed something massive in your last podcast. You didn't give any mention to the fact that Seb Cardinal of Cardinal Burns fame played the fashion guy. This is surely worthy of note. And if you're not aware of Cardinal Burns comedy, get on it. I don't know why they're not bigger. That is very true. A genuine oversight. Uh, yeah. Cardinal Burns is a big deal, uh, critically acclaimed, and I did recognise uh, that his surname, uh, Seb's surname, in the credits, but uh, just didn't twig in time. Apologies, Kenneth. Um, Michael Brennan, is that his real name, or is he playing the character of Michael Brennan? <laughs> no, no, he, he, he's a friend of the show. He's real. Okay. He says, the fashion item, that was the best 10 minutes of the series, absolute partridge gold. Uh, Dave M said, I found myself being drawn towards Simon every time he and Alan were on the screen. His expressions are priceless, and in this particular episode, it's much more watchable. I really miss seeing the subtle expressions and reactions of Jenny. Worst episode of the series by far. I mean... There's a lot of mixed messages in there, Dave. Yeah, there is. Found yourself yeah. drawn towards Simon, expressing the priceless, <laughs> but still the worst episode of the series and missing Jenny. Uh, I mean, I agree. I think I, I think it was a mistake to have Jenny absent for so much of the episode. Yeah, but, definitely. But it didn't stop us collectively ranking it top. Uh, <laughs> 
Hmm. Russ Appleby uh, got in touch on WhatsApp to say episode six was by far the best episode. The stressed relationship with Jenny coming to a head. More Simon. The looks to camera. Eat the moss. Simon mouthing all the auto cue words. Alan's reading out. Morwenna Banks and Rob Gibbons as phoning callers. And the cut to Alan's extreme close up during the night terror sequence made me lol out loud. Hang on. Lol, l- laugh out loud out loud. Um, yep. Ending <laughs> on the same sentence that it all started was a lovely bit of business too. Uh, very true. Thanks for that, Russ. Um, uh, Stephen Mills got in touch on email saying wonder if anyone else picked up on the similarity between the line in this time episode 6 and the one from Know Me Knowing You episode 3 in the uh, night sweat section Alan says this is the amount of sweat squeezed from a pillow of an ordinary sleeper it's empty this is the amount of sweat squeezed from my sheets after they've passed through a mangle uh, and in Know Me Knowing You with Alan Partridge uh, after being asked by Alan just how hairy is Lawrence Knowles back uh, Lawrence Knowles dermatologist replies it's very hairy Alan I mean this is the amount of hair you'd find on an averagely haired back and this this is the amount collected at the last session with Lawrence I mean it's enough to cover 12 small children <laughs> <laughs> so yeah definitely yeah. that's quite nice I quite like it when they have sort of callbacks Gibbons putting callbacks to bits that they didn't write or potentially yeah. Steve added that line in so it's nice to have it hands across the decades there co- consolidating the APU callback or bit of a coincidence it's a little bit tenuous isn't it callback we'll go All with callback right, okay. it's a yeah, callback I, I, I think yeah I'm going to say it's a knowing <laughs> reference rather okay. than an unknowing one knowing uh, me knowing I've, reference Remember, they've they've got the archivist. They have got the archivist. We really should get one of those. Diligently go through all of this. What a way to make a living. Uh, And finally, for my section, Alex Taylor seventy nine on Twitter got in touch to say Alan was rude about Jenny, but she's been rude to him all series. She was the blatantly unprofessional one by walking off. Alan did his best to cover. Wonder if it's Jenny, not Alan, that will get the bollocking. Hence, ambiguous ending. Uh, We did cover this a little bit. I I still think Alan's Alan's going to be in trouble. It's a. It's. I think she's getting. Uh, a verbal warning and Alan is getting a written warning and essentially being uh, having his contract terminated it seems only fair ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool. Thanks for all those bits of episode six feedback. We are now going to go to the Monkey Tennis Hotline. We've got uh, three calls with a few thoughts and summaries about the series as a whole. 
Hi, Monkey Tennis. It's uh, Matt from Sheffield. Um, just calling, um, responding to your call for favourite uh, Partridge quote of this time. Um, I've enjoyed the series as a whole. Um, I think he's, he's, he's definitely definitely still got it. I've got to think. I've got to say, I think he should have been a bit more narrative driven. I really enjoyed Alan winning in episode two, and we we didn't really get too much of a, a narrative uh, past that, which I was a bit disappointed about. Simon continues to be the best cartridge character um, by a mile, um, narrowly tipped by Alan himself. Increasingly narrowly, I think he's, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I just wanted as well to record a, a slight defense of, of episode five. Uh, common consensus is to be episode five is, is quite weak. I, I quite liked it, especially the, the swearing section, which um, I, I know you guys didn't like too much. But I thought it was, I thought it was very Alan to have him be so awkward around swear words and so visibly annoyed that there were so many swear words when he decided to do a section about swearing. I thought that that whole thing was was very Alan. Cool. So that was Matt from Sheffield, big fan of Simon there, and now to Tom. Hello, monkey tennisers. It's Tom Pondine from Cambridge here, mega fan of Partridge. Enjoyed listening to every one of your podcasts and attending both the live shows with your guests. Keep up the good work. I've watched every episode of this time at least twice now. That was the best full Allen series we've had since Gary Wilmot's wedding. The clunch stroke fluck mess up, the erotic hand washing, the first aid on the sex doll, all 10 on 10. The exchanges with Ruth, Jenny's character, except maybe the last episode, and the Colgate Lady Paste fashion section, all bingo. The library scene, getting caught by the police, and the Irish lookalike bit, snap. Uh, minor criticism, more distance between sidekick Simon and his sudden apparent lack of tech skill. I may want to mix them, but I want that to be my decision. Maybe using the enjoyment of a sexist joke as a breakwater. Also, I think the ending to the series was disappointing and should have been more dramatic like other Partridge. But I'm nitpicking. On the whole, a very good effort. Seven on ten. Let's make love. So it's it's interesting. I think he mentioned so many highlights of the series for him there. It does make there there is a lot in these episodes, isn't there? Next up, it's Nate. Hi, this is Nate. Um, great work as ever with the podcast, you know, putting in the shift and getting down to the nitty-gritty. Um <laughs> I really enjoyed this time. It is good, and I'm glad that Partridge is back. Don't get me wrong. But, and I feel Nick is in this boat. It's just, there's a lot of bits that don't quite land, and whilst there were some real highs, I'm thinking inflatable doll, I'm thinking uh, whacking of the schoolboy, and bits with Simon... On the whole, I just feel it's not that strong, and I get that it's got lots of layers and coming back to it. There'll be lots of things on second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth viewings. I've watched most episodes two or three times, and I have found new stuff and new funny parts. I just feel that, you know, other partridges laugh out loud straight away off the bat, and whether it's the the stretch of it over half an hour in the kind of format of Mid-Morning Matters isn't as, isn't as great. I don't know what it is. I just... I worry it it will maybe will appreciate it more in time, but maybe it won't get that much better. And I think I'm wanting it to be better than it is, and that's what's hard. I'm wanting to convince myself that it is really good when I think it is it is good. It's just not great partridge. I'm also concerned that another series seems to be a documentary and 
says it all is good it's funny but we need to see partridge behind the camera that's that's pure partridge i want to see him unhinged it's this format's been done a bit now we need to go back to behind the lens with alan cool thanks for that nate uh it sounds like you're a bit conflicted there you want to love it you do love it but i think you want to love it more so i'd say just give it time it's going to be all right give it a few repeat viewings you'll be on board so I've got some series um, feedback. So this is uh, people that have written in giving us their thoughts on the series as a whole. So first up, we have My Name is Michael, who says he's clinically fed up that the series has ended. I'm off to do some short burst underwater grieving. Overall score for the series was 7 on 10. So he liked it. I think we can um, uh, infer from that. Uh, next, we have a message from Barry who says, episode six was the weakest of the series, and this time is my least favourite of the whole AP canon, just not consistent or funny enough. Uh, I mean, I, I would wholeheartedly disagree with that, and uh, we, as we just discussed, episode six was our favourite, so slightly differing, uh, differing opinions there, mm, Barry. Not my favourite. <laughs> well, <laughs> once you round them up. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then we have a message from AKA Right Outlook One, who says loved every minute of the whole series. So I think that's just a consistent thumbs up from them. Uh, Keith Mizen uh, via Facebook writes to say this series has included some of the greatest partridge moments ever but has had some of the less good moments too. The series as a whole is an instant classic, but not perfect. A bit more IAP-style narrative would help. Uh, It's sort of there, but we had a big leap in episode 6 in the Alan and Jenny tension, whereas more episodes could have seen it develop further. Give him a second series, you shit. I mean, for me, in summary, that says he likes it, and he wants to see more. That's two thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally from George Fox Leak on Facebook, um, who says, a little disappointed by the narrative flow of the series for them to have built up a relationship between him and Jennifer for five episodes and then have it uh, crumble due to an incident we don't see is a bizarre choice. In all, less distance between the comedy and the narrative. Seven on ten, let's make love. Uh, (laughs) I think you'll find a lot Um, of people have signed off their feedback with the seven on 10 gag just because of the 7 on 10 dialogue uh, bit of script Um, I have a few more summaries on our listeners and what they thought of TTWAP as well Nicholas on WhatsApp I was really puzzled by some episodes divided opinion so strongly I basically think that some episodes appeal more if you like seeing Alan bristling against people and causing friction as opposed to the VT segments which feel more in the style of the books the most jarring moment of the series for me was when Alan revealed he has regular prostitute dreams in a VT piece him revealing information felt like one of those moments where the limits of the character and the edited magazine show conceit were being tested beyond believability. Yeah, that's quite an interesting point there. Uh, Mark Simmons on Facebook writes, I'm really confused by the whole series. I've followed Partridge for years, and this for me is a low point in his career. Harsh. Uh, the script is really poor at times and is filled with cheap gags, and tonight's episode just felt so rushed in terms of the narrative. He means episode six. I know it's not a popular opinion, and I desperately wanted to like it because it's more Partridge, but I have to be realistic and say for most of it, I sat stony-faced, whereas his previous work made my face hurt from laughing. Stephen Warren wrote to us saying, I think overall it's been a great series. Episode 4, by far the best. The Martin Brennan bit of series highlight. Love the CPR sex doll too. Finally, a real shame they didn't make use of Ted from Sunderland more. I thought he had the potential to be a superb recurring character. I think we would all love to have seen a link to Michael. I wonder if that tease is now gone or they'll bring it back in future Partridge works. A uh, couple more. 
Brad from Portsmouth writes, Seems to have been a theme in the series that certain segments have been too long. Overall, a positive part of the series, but with room for improvement. 7 on 10. And but crucially... Not Let's Make Love. <laughs> yep. Uh, no love making there. And finally, for this section, uh, Apple Matt, quite like that name, let's not mention <laughs> Let's not mention that Coogan can no longer do the character and it's such a bore. Real fanatics go straight to the source now, Richard Maidley. Now, that is an interesting point in terms of Partridge as a character has definitely evolved. And I think a big thing is the voice is so different to what it was back in the Know Me Knowing You days. So I, I don't know if that's particularly what he means or whether there's there's more to it. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I think he's making the point that quite a few of the uh, press reviews that, that uh, Camilla Long in the Times was one of them, said that effectively the world has become so partridge, there are so many real-life broadcasters that are genuinely that bad that do you need it in a in a comedy character uh, oh. you know, as has the real world accelerated beyond partridge that's why apple matt's saying real fanatics go to the source now really <laughs> basically but, more partridge than partridge yes but do you do you agree with his point that coogan can no longer do the character as in that he isn't giving a partridge enough portrayal uh, no, I don't think so. I think Coogan, Coogan is, was, and always will be Partridge, yep. whether he likes it or not. Um, I think, <laughs> yep, I think, I think. To be honest, you, I don't think you can say that Coogan can no longer do the character. I think if the character is no longer for you, then that's different. But, uh, but you know, Coogan, Coogan is Partridge. He, he, you know, he created it and has written it alongside other people all these years. So I think Partridge, the character, could evolve out of uh, your personal taste. But I don't think Coogan will ever not be Partridge. Yeah. Finkel is Einhorn, Coogan is Partridge. Let's make love. <laughs> Give him another book, you shit. Now, this is a point that I had never considered, but I think it's actually quite a good one. Chris Fitzpatrick writes on Facebook, what's the chances that there's a new book slash series imminent that covers everything between episodes of this time? There's so much that the series set up that wasn't resolved. It must have been intentional, and surely there's a payoff planned. I think it's better suited to a written release, but a third series of I'm Alan Partridge would work too. Any thoughts? Maybe I just really want to see Alan and Jenny share a lasagna. <laughs> P.S. Favourite moment from this time is Alan's bird story at the beginning of the hashtag John Gone episode, and particularly the part where he says he picked up the bird gently by the beak. Now, I, I don't think there is ever going to be a third series of I'm Alan Partridge. I don't think... There's going to be a TV series that covers the sections that are or the things that aren't covered in this time. But I would love another book, even though I haven't read Nomad yet, but I will do. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think if there is another book, it would have to cover sections that haven't been discussed or mentioned in here. But obviously, Alan is an unreliable narrator, so we wouldn't actually get the full picture or truthful picture anyway. Um but then is the book now a sort of done thing? They've done two. Do they need to do another one? I don't know. What What are the thoughts? I th- I think they need a compelling reason to do a third book. So the first one, I mean, was the autobiography of his entire yeah. life. So I don't think they can do a follow-up yet. Uh, Nomad, obviously, they had a kind of a loose concept about him following in his father's footsteps. I think they could cover the sections uh, around him being on this time as, as an aside in a book about something completely different. I don't mm. think that... Yeah. I yeah. don't think that he or or he could perhaps in a few series time he could do some sort of expose of the BBC years when he moves on to another channel or or stops doing BBC work maybe. Yeah, it's like it's like more needs to have happened in the APU yeah. before they can get to it probably. But Chris wasn't the only person who wrote in about uh t- talking about a new Alan Partridge book. Shane Giles also wrote in on email. 
I know a lot of people were disappointed with this time. Many felt it wasn't fleshed out enough, much like this sentence. However, I think this was done on purpose. I foresee Alan Partridge releasing a fourth memoir, which will chronicle this, his time on this time, amongst other things. Whether it was how Alan got the gig and was seemingly able to produce his own VTs on a BBC programme, or what exactly happened between Alan and Jenny behind the scenes week in and week out, these questions went unanswered. It would certainly make for good reading and could serve to give us the answers we are looking for in regards to this time. And I've just mentioned this, although as Alan is the epitome of an unreliable narrator, we will never get the full truth. Very true. I definitely think there is another book in Alan. Yeah. I I don't know what it will be. I don't know how long we'll have to wait, but I think one day we'll get another one. Um, Some other bits and pieces and uh, listener question to the groups. We'll start off with uh, Kevin Lloyd, who emailed us to say... On the comic relief sketch, which I thought was great, the scoutmaster Alan speaks to about filming from the waist down is actor Martin Glyn Murray, who was in the Manchester band The Mock Turtles with Steve Coogan's brother Martin. There you go. Another pointless Alan fact of the day for you. <laughs> great. Thank much for that. Um, Patrick Dukes says on Twitter, I've been watching this time live on a Monday night with my girlfriend and then listening to the podcast on a Wednesday and Thursday at college in my free periods. Very specific and a great level of detail there, Patrick. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, It's become a really enjoyable routine for me over the last six weeks. I don't know how many 17-year-old fops there are out there, but I'm proud to be one. Well, we're proud to have you, Patrick. Uh, I have two questions for you all. Something that I haven't really heard discussed is Alan's signature look, the wig. Coogan has used many wigs through the years for Partridge, becoming more realistic as time goes on. So on with the questions. One, which wig do you think is best? And Two, do you think they will start to age the wig in future Alan projects? I mean, I'm happy to go first. I basically think when it comes to uh, Coogan uh, as Partridge hair, the higher, the better for me. (laughs) The more more bouffant, the more I like it. Uh, As long as it always stays a little bit smaller than Lynn's, I'm happy. I can definitely answer this with my least favourite wig, which is definitely his hair in Alpha Papa. It's far too long. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, definitely. Something of something of the Edmunds mullet, mini mullet. Yeah, yeah. Do we think they'll start to age the wig in the future? Yeah, I'm sure they'll add. There'll be some grey creeping in around the sides. I would, I would expect. Well, my question was: Do we think Alan will? I mean, this is a bit of a predictor partridge, but do we think Alan will grow old gracefully, or do you think he's going to be very much a just for men man and like refusing to let any grey hairs really sort of dominate, dominate the barnet, so to speak? I could see a comb over. I could see a comb over happening for sure. Oh, and Alan can't he's lose already, his hair. He's already getting the hairdresser. He's already getting the hairdresser to volumise it near the crown, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. It it <laughs> I think I think he'd probably go. He'd probably take someone like Roger Moore and just copy what they did. If Roger Moore went grey with grace, then that's what Alan will do. And if not, then yeah, he'll be tinting it till death. Okay, so we may not know for sure what Alan's going to do with his hair next, but we do know what Alan's going to do on TV next. So it's probably worth getting this into the pod in case you, our dear listener, haven't heard this news yet. So this, uh, I'm going to read this from Chortle. I think they had this exclusive story. Alan Partridge's forthcoming series is a Simon Sharma-style historical documentary of Britain, Chortle can reveal. Production has begun on the BBC One show, provisionally titled And Did Those Feet with Alan Partridge, with filming set to begin in May. The Gibbons Brothers are directing and uh, sharing writing duties with Steve Coogan. However, Chortle understands that after appearing in the last two Partridge series, Tim Key will not be reprising his role as as, uh, Simon Denton. So we know that already. We know Tim Key's uh, said that. The Gibbons brothers have previously said that they were planning a series of Partridge presenting a history of Britain in which he will probably bite off more than he can chew. And I think there's been quite a positive response to this that we've seen on our social media over the last couple of days when this story got announced. Uh, Lots of people hoping, though, that there will be a behind-the-scenes element to the show. And also, worth mentioning, a few people saying, hasn't Philomena Kunk already done this? Can I just chip in and say, I'm slightly nervous. 
Mm, likewise. <laughs> because mm, the historical um, stuff for me, when Coogan goes into, like, there are elements when Coogan does his historical stuff where he goes into the, it's like when he does his technical breakdowns, he goes into such minute details because he wants accuracy to be the most important. Th- accuracy is the most important for him. So every minute detail is important to him. And sometimes that can go on for way too long and not be that funny. So I hope it's not as straightforward as just Alan presenting a documentary series. Although I will say, um, and in these, fi- and what's it, sorry? Uh, and did, yeah, and did, did those feet. feet is a great, with Alan Partridge is a, is a great title. Yeah. That's yeah. a ni- nice link um, to Nomad with that as well, I think as well. That just kind of all fits quite nicely. Wouldn't know, haven't read it. <laughs> I'd, uh, I had similar reservations. I mean, I'm sure it will be good. It, you know, and, uh, nothing that Gibbons have done has been less than solid. But uh, as someone that puts things like uh, Welcome to the Places of My Life towards the bottom of the partridge pile, it sounds like it could be. It makes a lot of sense as something that Alan would choose to do rather than something that is rich in comedy that we haven't seen from him before. And I'm starting to worry, is there a danger here that actually Alan's preferences are now leading the writers that, <laughs> yeah. like Alan, accurate, like you said, Tom, accuracy and believability are being prioritised possibly at the expense of comedy. I don't think Alan, the tail is wagging the dog a little bit, perhaps. That's a really interesting point. I think it doesn't specify how big this series is. So I feel like if it's maybe just a two-parter and it's essentially an extended special then i'm less worried if it's going to be a six-part series then i would agree i'm also worried i would just like to um also mention that even though i said i'm nervous i still trust the gibbons implicitly i think the work that they've done on partridge is amazing so i i still am confident they'll be they'll be able to deliver something that is good i'm just slightly little bit of a asterisk on it that i'm you know some of that partridge that this potentially would include is some of my least favorite partridge so i hope there's a bit of a balance so, that it, and it isn't just a straight documentary so what you're saying is can i shock you i like the gibbons brothers despite what I said. <laughs> yes exactly okay um I, what i would have loved i mean we're, we're, we'll get on we're, we're all gonna we're all gonna pitch a partridge in a minute we're basically gonna uh, suggest a program that we would like to to make in the apu but uh separately from that what i would have loved is uh is Alan sort of talking up Michael as if he'd fallen through the gaps of society and Alan trying to rehabilitate a Michael that is largely happy anyway uh, or some kind of in search of Michael after maybe receiving an indecipherable phone call or spotting a homeless man that looks a bit yeah. like him. I would have loved something like that. Can I just say that's essentially what my pitch <laughs> idea is going to be. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> So as just mentioned, it's time for uh, Pitch a Partridge. What we've done is basically thrown the gauntlet down to all four of us hosts to try and come up with a programme idea of what Alan could do next or a show that could exist in the APU. Um, and we're each going to take up to 90 seconds to just uh, briefly outline it to our fellow hosts and then perhaps field a question or two. Uh, does anybody want to go first? Well, shall I start since you've essentially already <laughs> outlined what it's I was saying? Stolen your idea, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, no, that, that's fine because I think it does really lend itself so i'm thinking it's it's the search for michael it's a documentary series but done in the style of investigative journalism it's perhaps alan searching for michael around newcastle sunderland maybe getting involved with like local vagrants to see whether michael's there and all the hell all the hilarious things that happen along the way there's potential that perhaps ted from sunderland could pop up some somewhere or another so maybe alan's got a researcher to get in touch with him so that he provides a link to the area um but i i'd also want to see alan 
trying to do that kind of doorstepping investigative journalism thing that we've seen him do uh, in things like uh, Scissor Dial, perhaps, and obviously everything going uh, massively wrong. Uh, and maybe, yeah, I think we'd like to see he does finally trap Michael down, but that's not till the last episode, perhaps. Yeah, I would definitely um, watch that. I'm very keen to see um, where the Michael narrative uh, kind of takes Alan. Could there be Michael's just like little, just quickly, could uh, there be like little Easter eggs? So Alan would just be walking down the street doing a piece to camera and there'd be like a cup of beans on a, on the side or something like that that he notices. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, the trail, yeah, or, the trail has picked up heat. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe it, he, it's because obviously it will have to be done in a very inept fashion. So you might even have he's walking down the street with a piece of camera, and Michael's slightly out of focus yes. in the background, and he doesn't realise. <laughs> Just walk past brothers, him you can have that one for free. Yeah, uh, where's the commissioning bell? Yes. <laughs> My idea was. Uh, I mean, I don't see it ever happening, but I just thought it would be uh, a nice idea for, for the show. So in the same way that you saw Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon go and do a tour of the North in fine dining restaurants, I thought Simon and Alan could do a similar Ooh. trip together whereby um, they uh, took in uh, sites that obviously was driven by Alan's um, agenda for the week. Simon's not going to get a look in, um, but those two spending the week together on holiday, touring around yeah. the UK, meeting people, getting up to all kinds of hijinks. I just think those two together could be as entertaining as seeing Steve and Rob Bryden uh, touring. Uh, so is that sorry? Together. Is that a sit- Is that a sitcom or is that like Alan discovering Britain or going around Britain, like in a kind of mockument uh, documentary? Yeah, is it supposed to be like a travel log, like a travel a log show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maximum to like. <laughs> You know, uh, <laughs> Road to Nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah, what you've done is Max and Paddy's Road to Nowhere and just replace <laughs> the two characters with Simon and Alan. I'd love it. Yes. As, as, yeah. as an added bonus, could we have it that they are touring the last of the country's operational little chefs? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Tom Stab, what have you got for um, us? I mean, the conceit, like, I don't know how it would happen or what it would take for this marriage to happen. But I'd really like to see, and I think it would probably just have to be a one-off or even a comic relief short or some kind of short or something like that. Alan, for some reason, has been drafted in to present a QVC-style show where, for a short period of time, Mm -hmm. Alan and Simon have to sell a number of products to the general public via a QVC-style channel. So we know... Uh, Tim Key's sort of ineptitude with technology and Alan also obviously being a bit of a buffoon, them getting things wrong, breaking the the, the things that they're trying to sell, the tech not working or something <laughs> yeah. like that. I think it would be, a, you, I think that's, and, and with it being quite a high pressured environment as well, like you have to do a, sell a certain amount in a very, very short space of time. I think the pressure would obviously make Alan blow effectively so i think the high pressure stakes would mean that there's a high chance for some very very good comedy there what i'm hearing here is you've got the countdown element of their recent comic relief segment you've got simon's technical ineptitude yeah. and you've got the on-screen charisma of them doing the fashion bit in episode six yes. yeah all of those things so yeah alan presenting a qvc style show i don't know what the name would be uh, i don't know how it would happen but i want to see it would commission Uh, So mine, I've written this in the style of an actual pitch. Uh, Allow me to deliver it to you now. My show is 
charity hop with Lynn Benfield. <laughs> Mature TV newcomer Lynn Benfield steps out of the shadows in this light-hearted investigation into the most common site on the modern high street, the humble charity shop. She'll visit a different sleepy town each week, setting challenges such as mask that mask, what's left in the pockets this time, and how many copies of Fifty Shades can one store take. Each week, she'll also attempt to assemble a suitable outfit for church inside a fiver and find a dusty bargain she can successfully pass off as a valuable antique to her employer, BBC One's Alan Partridge. Will he take the bait or will he see through the budget sham? Additionally, expect the odd cameo from psychic Simon Denton, who just happened to be shirt shopping anyway during the filming of several episodes. 12 episodes, 28 minutes for initial trial broadcast on weekday daytime BBC Two. Wood Commission. Brilliant. <laughs> it's Jumble, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's basically a variation on Jumble. So my, my, my follow-up question is, is this more a Lynn-focused show than it is an Alan-focused show? In terms of percentages per episode, what percentage are we seeing Lynn on screen? What percentage are we seeing Alan on screen? Uh, initially, I think you're seeing you're seeing Lynn eighty percent, Alan twenty percent, but increasingly he he is going to naturally just take over. Okay, so would, would would Alan's role be beefed up in terms of is he the executive producer perhaps? So is there an option that in the show in our universe, not the APU, we're seeing Alan behind the scenes getting increasingly irate at how production is going, stuff like that? I th- I think there's no way Lynn is getting this to screen without it being a pear tree production. So <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely, yeah. Alan Great. Alan produced. I think, yeah, yeah. In fact, that could be quite nice. It could be Alan's or Pear Tree's first attempt to make a show that isn't Alan focused and just mm. show that basically he can't handle not being in the spotlight. <laughs> I like that a lot. I mean, I think a note I made about what I'd like to see um, in whatever Alan does next. I think I feel like the dream Alan scenario for me would be fifty percent is on screen in the style of this time or know me knowing you. Fifty percent is behind the scenes in the style of I'm Alan Partridge. Like, is that yeah. the sort of mix that you guys would like to see in future projects? Do you think? I think I think it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're almost at the end of this episode and the end of this series of Monkey Tennis, but we thought it would be polite to tell you when you can expect us back. So, what are we covering next? We will be back in the autumn. Uh, with a series focused on uh, Nomad, 2016's beautifully punctuated follow-up to I, Partridge. As Alan says himself, streets pounded, blood spilt, tears shed, laughter peeled, a dead dad honoured, a hero risen, a book deal signed, that book is now complete. <laughs> so uh, we will be covering Nomad in forensic detail, uh, much as you uh, saw from us with I, Partridge, and those episodes will be coming later in the year, so uh, you will hear from us before 2019 is out. And a quick reminder to keep an eye out on Tuesday morning uh, We're after this episode comes out. So we're going to be putting out a tweet and uh, you're going to have to retweet that tweet. And if you do that, you'll be in with a chance of winning one of five DVD and mug combination packs for this time. So keep an eye out for that on our Twitter. That, that, that's a signed DVD by Steve Coogan. Signed I can't stress that DVD enough. by Steve Coogan. Uh, not a Blu-ray. Sorry, we couldn't source those. And then just to say, if you've enjoyed the series, you've enjoyed the show, um, please do rate, review uh, on iTunes. It makes a big difference to us appearing in the charts, which means more people can discover Alan and the podcast. So, um, yeah. Give us five stars, you shits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, It seems disingenuous to follow on from that uh, with a huge thank you. (laughs) 
But a huge thank you to all of you for listening, subscribing, spreading the word about Monkey Tennis, um, and Alan, of course. Uh, and to those of you that have reviewed us, uh, got in touch with your feedback, or formed part of our very special, uh, never-to-be-repeated, crowdsourced theme tune for this episode as well. Um, if you want to get in touch with us between series, perhaps you've come up with a crackpot theory that just can't wait, on Instagram, it's at Monkey Tennis Pod, Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, The Partridge Pod at gmail.com, and the Monkey Tennis Hotline, open all hours, is 07923 600 017. Uh, so thanks so much from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. We'll be back in the autumn, but for now, thanks and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Very thank you. Bye. You and I share a common language. When you and I, I eat a sausage sandwich. You and I share a common language. When you and I, I sausage sandwich. And I said, who the hell is that? Tommy, join me at the lady. That was a good egg. Julia! A very big bee. Eh? Hmm? Aye. Aye. Good. Good. After the pee or poo has landed, do make sure that you're clean-handed. I like sausages. Never mind your tweets. Get out of fucking way. I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. That's the equivalent of a very fat baby, or two malnourished ones. Alice Clunt. I'm going to make my excuses before somebody gets jinged. Your candle burned out long before your legend ever did. Continued Alton. Double O feckin' bollocks. I'd like to tickle your pink. Tickle you pink. Can I have a glass of water, please? My mouth is dry. You and I share a common language. When you and I eat a sausage sandwich. Just suck, Nick. Monkey tennis? When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. 
yahoofinance.com.